We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. In Proverbs chapter 4, let me tell you what this is about. Um, Begin with this. Stay with me here. I hear a lot of people that will criticize Christianity, per se, the church, um, Christians, but very few that ever criticize Jesus. There's just something about him that is enigmatic, something about a, a man who was pre-existent and then combined deity and humanity that became God in the flesh, that would die a substitutionary death that became to us wisdom from God, that rose from the dead, ascended, saves, returned. There's something about him uh, that, that's why you, you may name your kid a lot of names, but you'll never name him Jesus because it's just too much to live up to. And uh, there's something mysterious about him, something, as the soldier said, never a man spake as this man. But the thing to me that always uh, amazes me the most is the brevity of his words on the most important of issues, because he is the very wisdom of God. He speaks directly to what everybody else wonders about, he, he has an understanding to him about God and man and sin and self-righteousness and salvation and true religion and what marriage is, what the law of God is, what salvation is, what history is, what it will be, that he could um, just speak to the, what is called the true nature of things of what is behind the physical thing that you see, where it comes from, what it means. And so that's kind of what this text is about, is about the wisdom of God, the ability to see life as God created it to be. Uh, is it possible to be have everything, to have wealth and looks and health and money and status and education and not have wisdom and your life crater. Can that happen all the time? And how, how often you can see a man or a woman like Jesus, we know he had sandals, we know he had undergarments, we know he had a robe. He had, quote, no place to lay his head. Uh, he was abandoned by all friends except maybe John who stood at the cross and his mother, uh, convicted for what he did not do, never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born, uh, never spoke a message that is over about 15 minutes reading. And yet, wherever you go in the world today, you will see a monument to his life where he is worshiped. Worshiped by shepherds when he was born, by wise men when he was two, and by the church for the last 20 centuries. There's something about him that just freezes us. Never a man spoke as this man. Well, it's possible to have, like Jesus, nothing but wisdom and do quite well. As a matter of fact, sometimes you can do a lot easier and a lot better to have nothing but wisdom. So it's possible to get all that our world has and not have the wisdom of God, and your life ends up uh, an illustration. That's what this text is about. If you'll start in verse 1 through 4, uh, 
Solomon calls to the next generation. Psalm 71, do not forsake me, O God, until I make thy name known to the generation to come. And so in verse one, he says, hear, O sons, plural, the instruction of a father that I'm the one who wants the best for you. And he's calling to all the younger generation to listen to him. To not just listen to wisdom, but in verse one, to gain understanding, to embrace it, to understand what you are saying. We've all had the experience of talking to teenagers and they're in the second stage of anesthesia, you know. <laughs> they're not quite with us. You can, I remember my uh, uh, baccalaureate in high school. We had Bill Glass speak to us. Anybody remember Bill Glass? Very well known for the Fellowship of Christians. Former Cleveland Brown has a grand prison ministry. And he was talking to our senior class. And I can remember the girl next to me uh, saying, because he looked at us and he said, someday there's going to be somebody that says to you, I love you. And what they mean is I love me and I want you. And then he said, uh, we're in a day where there is no right, there is no wrong. There is right and there is wrong. And I, this girl next to me said, when's this idiot going to be done? I'll never forget that. And I can't remember a whole lot of what he was saying because I knew everything. I was 18. I didn't need to listen to him. But I can remember he was heralding the very word of God and it went right over me. I said, that's really interesting. Uh, but I, I didn't embrace it. And so he's saying to the young, you listen to what the old guys say and you pay attention and embrace it. Understanding is when you stand under something and you can see what makes it what it is. It's seeing behind the physical. Here's a wedding, a husband and a wife, but I know from Genesis and Ephesians 5 what love and marriage is. There's a man, but I understand what man in the image of God is. There's a baby to be conceived, but I see he is fearfully and wonderfully made. Are you with me? It's seeing what no one else can see because you have the eyes of God. Uh, give you a good illustration of this. Uh, Sunday schools began with what was called the Sunday School Union. As America pressed to the West in the 1800s, and particularly after the Civil War, that there was a whole bunch of people in the East that said, we got people going out there, having kids, growing up, starting cities, and they have no clue about God. We have got to have a Sunday school for their children. And it got so big that pretty soon that organization, the Sunday School Union, died away. And the church said, we got to take this over ourselves. Seems like somewhere we're supposed to have parents teaching their kids. Um, have you ever heard of McGuffey's Readers? That was a Presbyterian minister that saw the press to the West and said, we're going to have a whole bunch of kids come out with no knowledge of God. And so he came up with McGuffey's readers that would teach you to read. And in the copybook headings, there would be verses and maxims about the Christian life. Uh, the plan of union in 1801, Presbyterians, Congregationalists came together, pooled their money and their resources to wherever there was a city started up in the West, they would put a church. Uh, that's why when you see those old Western movies, you'll see a courthouse, a school, and a church. Because 
let me get philosophic with you. Whenever you have a democracy, whenever you have people determining who represents them, a democratic republic, it's called, whenever you have representatives put there by the people, you're assuming that you have people with their heads screwed on. You're assuming that the guys who vote have a sense of right and wrong and can recognize nobility. And so to have a government, a constitutional government of freedoms, that's good, but it's joined at the hip with the people with moral sense. And that moral sense was the Judeo-Christian ethic. And so you can't really have voting people with representatives from president to mayors that do not have an understanding of the word of God. Amen. That's why Alexis de Tocqueville, whenever he saw America beginning, he made the statement, the French uh, visitor, the Frenchman, he said, don't get too cocky, America. America is great because America is good. When you're not good, you will no longer be great. When you don't know how to vote and who to vote for. And the Christianity assumes literacy. We're not Buddhism or Hinduism or Zoroastrianism or Manichaeanism that look inside of yourself to find the truth. You admit that you don't know the truth and you look outside to the word of God and the person of Christ and you listen to your teachers and your parents. Amen. And so you can't have government without God and you can't have the knowledge of God without literacy. It assumes education. And that is why it has always been said that, real, that politics, our politics, the Bible and literacy and education are joined at the hip. You get, one of, get rid of one of them and you in time get rid of all of them. All you need is an illiterate, stupid bunch of teenagers. I'll move on from that point right there. And so Solomon speaks to the youth. Now, this was in the Camelot of Israel's history, David and Solomon. And Solomon says, we're just one generation away from doom. Amen. You're a generation away. You would be better off if you don't have literacy and God to have a monarchy with somebody stepping in. Now all you gotta have is one smart guy. But if you don't, you better make sure you're educating your kid. I'm done, that's all I'm gonna say. But let me say this. Verse two, the reason that you need to pay attention is that I give you sound teaching. The word sound in Hebrew is simply the word pleasant that the stuff that I'm teaching you matters as to how good and pleasant your life is. In the, in the New Testament, the term sound teaching is used and it's the Greek word that is pronounced hugiamos and we get our word hygienic. Sound means healthy because health is the is state you're in where everything's working together. Homeostasis. Everything stands the same. When your kidneys are working and your liver is working and your esophagus is working and all these organs are working within this organism, you now have the absence of pain and a state of health and happiness. And so he says, I'm going to give you good hygienic 
teaching. It's going to make your life truly happier because you're not going to have the vital areas crater around you. Uh, so he says, don't abandon it. Don't walk away from the old truths. Give me that old time religion. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the prophet Daniel. It was good for Paul and Silas. And it's good enough for me. You don't have to improve on the word of God. You just have to not change it and abandon it. And so this is always the problem of history. Book of Judges. And a generation arose which did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. And they turned aside to follow the Baals. And a Pharaoh arose that did not know Joseph. He didn't realize that the reason that they had been surviving a famine and a disaster was because of a particular Jew that was the begotten of the father, chosen as firstborn, that was the wisdom of God and became the bread of life and took us through it. A Jew that they all thought was dead, but he was alive from the dead. Does that remind you of anybody? And a Pharaoh arose that did not know that. I preached that upon the inauguration of Bill Clinton years ago. It's a terrible thing to have people in government that do not know God. And so don't abandon my instruction. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I was in Pawnee Martin's Sunday school class and Mr. Anderson and Mr. Hyatt's Sunday school class at Herring Avenue Methodist Church in Waco, Texas. And I listened. I went to college and abandoned it because I had theological AIDS. I had an acquired immune deficiency syndrome. And anything that came down the pike, I would buy into. Any moral change. I knew more about Jim Morrison and John Lennon than I did about Hosea. All right. And I just, you ever heard the term, your skin of your teeth? That was what I escaped by. It was the grace of God. And so don't walk away from what your mama teaches you. All right. Because you young guys, we're old guys, and we've been beat up by ideas. Amen? You don't fool an old guy, okay? Not normally. In verse 3, when I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and what's the last word of verse four? Live. Draw a circle around the word sound in verse two. Connect it to verse four. You will have life as it meant to be. Relationships and marriage and kids somewhat to a degree, it's kind of normal. You will have an enjoyment of what life is meant to be. Jesus, I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. In him was life, and his life was the light of men. You'll be what you could be if you will know God. In verse 5, here's where it starts. 
a choir, a choir. In all other religions, you look inside of yourself to be mystically guided by what you can't prove. In Christian meditation, you don't go inside yourself. You go outside of yourself. This word of the Lord shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do what is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and then you shall have success. And so you have to do something to get something. That's the, the what do they call it? That's the coin of the realm in Christianity. It's called literacy and learning. Coming to, a, to the revelation of God with an open heart and saying, like the apostles said to Jesus, he said, what do you seek? They said, where are you staying? He said, come and see. They came, they saw, and they stayed that day. It was the ninth hour. They never forgot it when they sat in his presence. And so acquire understanding. John 17, 17. Uh, sanctify them, O God, in truth. Thy word is truth. Make, you know, my wife and I made a commitment when we got married in 1974 that we would not go a day without spending time in God's word because that's the compass that always brings you back to it. And God has held us to that all of our lives. And so last time that we missed quiet time was when, you know, Watergate was taking place. Who has no earthly idea what Watergate and, you know, that has, if you, don't, if you don't quit reading your Bible, you'll start getting what's called olfactory fatigue. That's where you smell something bad so long that you can't smell it anymore. And if you quit reading your Bible, you'll start stinking, but you can't f pick it up on. But everybody else can. We used to go do men's retreats. We'd go backpacking up in Durango, Silverton. And then after a week, we'd come get on the train and everybody had moved to the caboose on that train because we had olfactory fatigue. We stunk. And we couldn't tell it. You know, Mel was awful, particularly. But everybody else could. And that's what happens when you get out of your Bible. You get to where you start stinking and you can't smell it till you get married. Okay. And so acquire wisdom and don't forget nor turn away. Spurgeon said, a young man and his Bible. What a sweet yoke to see a young man with his Bible. Did y'all see that little girl that sang that special up here for him? Was the highlighter on that? Wasn't that precious? I saw her and I said, she's got to marry my grandson. <laughs> you know, he's kind of, he's mean and ugly, but he's real healthy. <laughs> All right. You know who said that? Remember Ernest T. Bass? <laughs> That's what Ernest T. said. I'm kind of mean, but I'm real healthy. And so... In verse six and following, he says, let me tell you six things, young people, that the Bible gives you that nobody else can. In verse six, it'll give you protection. She'll guard you. She'll watch over you. Ecclesiastes 7.12, wisdom is protection as money is protection. The advantage of wisdom is that it protects the life of its owners. Money is good for health care, dental care. It's good for get you a timeshare in Nashville. Uh, it can give you a lot of pleasurable things, keep you out of a lot of problems. But if you don't have wisdom, uh, your life is in danger. And so it'll protect 
your heart. It'll keep you from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Bad ideas, bad temptations, and someone that is a roaring lion. I want you dead. So learn your Bible. You men, whenever a guy comes to call for your daughter, all right, you say to him, when did you come to know Jesus as your savior? When was it? And you watch him if he blinks. And then when he says that, you say, do you read your Bible every day? What local church do you go to? Who is the pastor and who are the elders? Who are you accountable to? Do you read your Bible? You want my daughter to be submissive to you. Who do you submit to, Cletus? You want Hortense to follow you? Who do you follow? Okay, then you ask him this. How do you like the book of Habakkuk? And just watch him. Okay. You need to be cleaning your gun. What are you talking to? Steve, that girl right there. And so she will guard you, love her, and she will watch over you. Verse seven, it will give you intelligence. Acquire wisdom and with your acquiring, get understanding. Don't let it just go over the top of you. Ponder on it and know not just what it says, but what it means. Let me read to you about a sixth grader in the Bible. He's 12 years old. Parents went off. He stayed in the temple. They didn't miss him. Figured out, he, who are we talking about? Jesus. Here's Jesus in the sixth grade. In the seventh grade, you got your bar mitzvah when you were 13. He's 12. It says, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. If you lost your kid, would you go to a seminary to find him? <laughs> That's where you go to find Christ. Okay. And he's sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. That's called intelligence. And all who heard him, he's drawing a crowd and everybody's looking in. How old is that kid? Uh, I think he's just 12. Gracious. Where's he from? Well, he's, I think he's from up north. Uh, he's not a Sadducee, Pharisee, a scene, Herodian, anything. His dad's a carpenter. He works in the shop with him. Gracious. And they saw him and they were astonished. I'm looking at a walk. That's the term used in the term in the Bible for a miracle. I'm looking at a walking miracle. You ever sometimes see a kid and think, oh boy, we're in trouble. God better rapture this kid out of here because he's going to get married and go to breed and we're going to have them all running around. Children of the corn. Lord of the flies. And they were astonished when they saw him. His mother said, I'm sorry, those who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He's asking questions. He's listening. He's responding. They've never heard anybody like him. So Christ is our model everything. He's our model kid. Then it says he continued in subjection to his parents until the age of 30 and his showing to Israel. He was a perfect teenager. He was a perfect high schooler. He was a perfect single on to the age of 30. Amazing. 
And so we continue here. It'll give you intelligence. And in verse 8, it'll give you excellence. Ex colis, the Latin. Colis is a hill. Ex colis means it's a hill that is above the norm. It is jutting out. It's Pike's Peak. It's the Himalayas. Something leaps out from the standard. We have another word about a middle standard. It's called mediocritus. What word do we get? Mediocrity. It means you're beige. It means you're tepid. You're neither hot nor cold. Don't be that. Excel. Uh, where am I? There it is. She will exalt you and she will honor you. And in verse nine, she'll place on your head a garland of grace and a crown of beauty. Wisdom will provide you excellence and exaltation. You'll be the go-to guy when they need something. The Bible says of Joseph that he was distinguished among his brothers. The Bible says of Daniel that he was, God said, you are highly esteemed. Uh, Samuel, he grew in favor with God and with men. Ezra, the king said, you have the wisdom of God in your hand. And God's hand was upon Ezra. These were relatively young men. And so you will be exalted. And in verse 10, he talks directly now to his son. Accept my sayings. Don't argue with me. And the years of your life will be many. It's given to a man 70 years or if by strength, 80. To get 70 years means you have lived out your days. Now, obviously, that's, you hope, the norm. You can die early of a lot of things, a lot of accidents, whether you're good or bad. That's God's story that he'll answer in time. We're talking here at a guy not dying what David calls the death of a fool. Do you know what I mean when I say the death of a fool? That's the kid that overdoses and dies. There was no cause for that. We had a guy that attended this church periodically back in the 90s. Yeah. And uh, he was a pro football player. He was on Madden's all-pro team every year. Um, he was great. Uh, he would come to church. His wife had been converted and she would bring him. He was six, uh, six, four, probably about 270, just a mountain of a man and was real likable. He was kind of exploring it, the, the gospel. Whenever he finished in retirement, he had $8 million in the bank. And from the 90s, that wasn't bad. He had $8 million. And he was going to go to his home, which was Maui with his wife that was a supermodel and he was just going to do what he loved and just coach high school football for fun. And so he, he wasn't uh, 40 yet and he had made it. So they had a party for him before he left and he had a family member that cooked up some black tar heroin. You cook it up in the sink and he did. Uh, when you start separating out Morphine, you're a male nurse, Joel, you know about that. 
uh, it slows your heart down. And that's why the guy that's going to give it to you when you get operated on has got to have about eight years of study to know what to give you. Y'all ever heard of Michael Jackson? That's when you get administered the wrong thing. And he took a syringe and took it right out of the sink and injected it into his heart. And it did what it's supposed to do. It stopped his heart. And he died. And now somebody else is going to marry a supermodel wife and go away to his house and spend his money. He died the death of a fool. That's a statement that David used about a guy named Abner. When David, when Saul died, now all of the rest of the nation had to receive David as king. And there was a guy up north that wanted to use the situation for his own personal gain. His name was Abner, and he took one of Saul's younger sons that was a puppet man, and he used him as a front to try to call Israel to follow him. He even went into that guy's wives to take his position. The guy called him to account. His name was Ishbosheth. said, what are you doing? He had been caught with his hands in a cookie jar. So he went to David and said, I'm going to bring all of Israel to you. You can be king over all the 12 tribes. David said, thank you much. You can walk away. Well, there was a battle previously where Abner had got into it with the brother of Joab. David's head militia man. This kid's name was Asahel. He was just a little guy. And he went after the big dog. He went after Abner, a seasoned warrior. And Abner stopped and he saw this junior high kid running at him. And he said, hey, how could I lift up my face to your brother, Joab? Go get one of the little guys, but don't come after me. Your catfish mouth is about to overload your hummingbird behind. So go away. The kid wouldn't think of it though. And he kept after him. And the Bible says that Joab, with no recourse, simply flipped his spear around and hit him with the butt end of his spear. And he was running so pell-mell, it went through him. And he fell dead on the ground and everybody went by and stopped and just looked at the brother of the five-star general of Judea was dead with the wrong end of a spear sticking in him because he didn't have the sense to know what to do. And because it was a death in battle, there was no cause for vengeance. They had a battle. Abner said, back off. He didn't, and he died. There's no recourse for that. That's the way battle is. Y'all know who Joab is? He had a very short fuse. His boiling point was about two degrees centigrade. And all he knew is he lost a brother. And so he caught Abner in a city called Hebron where he was leaving Hebron after talking to David. And Joab waited for him outside. And he said, say, Ab, could I speak with you? Sure. No danger because David had said, it's okay. We're starting all over. Clean slate. And he walked up to him and Abner didn't realize he wasn't thinking about what had happened and who this guy might, might be. And he took his knife and he gutted him and killed him. And the Bible said that David wept because now it's going to be charged to him 
that he took his kingdom by the killing of a man. And so David ordered all of his attendants to be at that funeral and walk behind the body at the funeral and to weep. And David sang a song and he said, O Abner, thou hast died the death of a fool. This shouldn't have happened. You got into a place you shouldn't have gotten into. You were doing something you shouldn't have been doing. And you found yourself in a position you shouldn't have been in. And you weren't smart enough to see the danger that you were in. And you're a dead man. Have you ever been to a funeral where you sat there and just shook your head and said, this shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't be happening. That's the death of a fool. And so Solomon said, you will dodge a lot of arrows and a lot of bullets if you will just obey God. Old people seem to die. Do I speak words of sober truth? I speak words of sober truth. Buddy, you're like 96 years old. Is this true? a little older? This is true. In verse uh, 11 and 12, he tells a sixth thing. Your life will be a lot easier if you'll follow after God. I've directed you in the way of wisdom and led you in upright paths. And thus, when you walk, your steps will not be impeded. You're going to have trials, but it's not going to be of your own doing. You're not going to have unexpected things rise up on you. When you're living with a girl, not married, and you get married in the midst of passion, passion is going to last you in marriage about an hour and a half. And then that girl, I don't care how immoral that she's been, once she gets married, she's looking for John Calvin, all right? She's looking for a holy man. I want him to work like the Bible says and be a good listener like the Bible says and raise our children like the Bible says and respect my parents like the Bible says. Well, dear, who were you shacked with like the 60s say? And now all of a sudden he comes out of hiding and you see, I married Peter Pan. He has no sense of responsibility. Or on the other way, he's abusive. Men that are not under God are either going to be negligent or they're going to be abusive. One of the two. They're going to seek their own. They're going to be lazy or they're going to be violent. Usually. And then they're going to fail to listen because they have nobody instructing them. And the guy that marries her is in the grip of, and in the humor, the Irish say, until the humor is off me now. The humor is off me now. And now he's finding out that uh, I married a problem. She wouldn't submit to God prior to marriage. What makes me think that she's going to look at me at the altar and said, follow me, O thou risen and glorious head. That's not going to happen. And so you walked right into it. You walked into it. You didn't raise your kids and the word of God. And so you got Jim Morrison and uh, John Lennon for your sons because that's the way you raised them. Yeah, it's painful. You poured a quart of, you know, Johnny Walker through your liver every two days. And now you're dying of, of uh, cirrhosis. That's what happens to you. 
my son, often he'll have to arrest a meth addict and he will simply turn to him and say, the question is when you're going to die, not if. It's how and where and when you're going to die. You're going to die. And he will say, if in the war they had put this stuff in people unwillingly, it would be a war crime. And that's what you're doing for $10 cent or $10 a hit. Matter of fact, they're called locusts. It's a cicada hull, the shell of a man, the shell of a woman, and they're dead on the inside. Thank you, Satan. And so he said, you shouldn't be here. Well, in verse 13, so you need to learn to protect yourself. You get insurance, you are gluten-free, you take Crestor for your, what do you take it for? Cholesterol, you floss till your gums bleed. Man, you're just healthy as you can be. You take your manganese and magnesium and your Pepto-Bismol and man, you got implants and things all over your head. Man, you're so tedious about your liver. But verse 13, take instruction, don't let it go. Guard her. She is your life. Deuteronomy 32, it is not an idle word. It is your life. You and your Bible are prophetic of you and your life. Watch your disciplines. Watch your life. Watch your habits. Watch your path. Watch your associates. Protect your heart. For from it come the issues of life. That determines what kind of kid, what kind of parent, what kind of Citizen is your heart. Guard your heart. And verse 14, don't enter that path. Don't proceed in that way. Don't see how close you can get to evil. Stay as far as you can. And when Eve saw the tree was a delight to the eyes, that it was good for food, what's she walking by? Her senses. Looks good, tastes good, and it is desirable to make one dead. But that's not what the serpent said. It'll make you wise. And she bit, and you can see Satan, gotcha. And here we are, about a million wars later. And so don't get close to it. Don't walk down that path. We had a guy who used to play at North Texas, was a running back, set all the records by, gosh, the 70s. And he was a top kid in the 70s, about to get drafted, go to the pros, had a wife, had a kid. Go, baby. He had a cousin and said, would you go with me down on, uh, we're going to go to hang out with some buddies down on Harry Hines. Make a note, Harry Hines, stay off of it. Okay. That's where all the strip clubs are. And he headed down to Harry Hines. Problem is, he went down with his cousin who had the intelligence of a squid, okay, and got himself in a fight. When you go into a bar, what do you think is in that bar? Guys getting drunk, guys that are violent, and guys that are looking for a woman. That's what's going to take place in a bar. He goes in that bar, and what happens is what always happens. 
Something busted out between some inebriated guys. His cousin gets in the middle of it. The hands start getting thrown. Make another note. If you're an athlete, don't get in a fight in a bar because you're probably going to win and they're not going to arrest the loser. They're going to arrest you. Okay, that has nothing to do with the text, but it's just a bit of wisdom. Okay. Don, <laughs> don't you do it. Okay. Well, he jumps in the middle of the fight. I mean, buddy, when it's your cousin getting whopped on, you got to do something. He jumped in the middle. That's what happens. You go with a stupid cousin into a bar on Harry Hines. And pretty soon, this running back starts wailing, starts throwing some hands. And so if you're a guy getting whooped on in a bar, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to say, let's do the Marquis of Queensbury? You're going to take out what you got, a blade like this, and you're going to stick him, and you're going to hit his liver, which you did, and he died. So he didn't get to go to the pros, and somebody else married his wife. Somebody else took his kid, and they're raising him under that name someplace else. Don't even go there. Don't even get close to it. Don't see how close on the edge you can walk. Spurgeon in his day was talking about oh, the, the great French tightrope walker, Rodin, something like that. And he was telling his church, he said, we go to watch this guy in the circus put his life in jeopardy every time. And he does it because we paid 50 cents to see it. And so he puts his life in jeopardy. And what do we do? Spurgeon said, we applaud watching him do this. He said, you shouldn't applaud men that are putting their lives within an inch away from a violent death. And he said, that's why you need to stay as far as you can from evil. In Israel, you got the Syrians. Let's see, the way you're looking at it, you got the Syrians here, the Assyrians, you got the Babylonians. You got the Egyptians, you got Crete and Cyprus off here. You got Moabites, Edomites, uh, Mosquitobites. You got all these bites and they're all around you. Israel doesn't march on them unless they have to. Israel could not fight an imperialistic war. They can protect themselves. But whenever an immigrant came through, now there was one God, one rule. You didn't play their game. They got to play your game. And so you're always watching for somebody coming in. You don't go to their feasts. If they offer you something to eat so you can sit down and sacrifice their gods, don't you do it because you're going to get the next generation. And so you keep as far away as you can. Let me give you, I'm, I'm out of time, but we got time for a story. All right. I'm flying to Tampa to do a conference. Sitting next to me is this guy. And I look over going to Florida and I say, what do you do? He said, I harvest, buy, and sell carnivorous plants. I said, cool. <laughs> you ever been with a carnivorous plant salesman? I said, I want to know something. I watched a Nova special once about this plant. And I want you to tell me if it's true, because I couldn't believe it. There's a plant that has a bulb on it, and it's a blue bulb. The inside and outside are blue, and it has octagonal geometric shapes. They're all octagonal, except for one 
that there is no covering. It's an octagonal shape, but there's no covering over it in the bulb. And it's the same color as the sky in equatorial regions. It's blue. And so if you get into it, you're going to get seasick. You're not going to tell how to get out. It's all the same. And I know because they got them little bitty cameras and little photographers in Nova that get inside plants and show you stuff. And so so you've got this opening. And down at the base of the plant, there is a nectar. And so the fly smells it and it goes in. And once he gets in, there's no nectar. There's just a door, an opening. And it goes corkscrew, the stem. So you can't see where it leads. You just see what's in front of you. And there's just enough light as to what's in front of you. And so the little, and you can see the fly just kind of wondering, you know, should I do this or not? Ah, what the hey? It smells good. Must be good. And once you start down the stem, the stem has spines in it. Kind of like when you're trying to steal a car off the uh, rental lot, okay? You can't go out the end deal or it'll get you. So they got spines and they're all going down, which means that the trek is painless as long as you're going down. But if you stop and try to turn, once you commit, you're done. All right. A a pusher, how many trips does a pusher need to get you started on to enslave you? One. Do you know that when you do meth, my son told me the first time you do meth, your brain responds, responds in an orgy of dopamines and it's emptied and it is ethereal. And he said, it is such that you'll never, ever get back to that place. You'll never have another high like that, but you're always trying. And once you go into it, you got to have it and you're got now. And I will sell that girl from whatever, whatever I want, any place I want. She's mine. So you take your first step down, little fly, and you, it's painful to get out your, your head. Now you can only go down. And as you get closer to the nectar, It smells sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. The nectar is a digestive juice. And so you go down and are eaten alive. Have a good day. God bless. You know what I would name that plant? I'd call it the Satan plant. And I said to this guy, is that true? And the guy said, oh yeah. He said, how big would you think that plant is? Not like this. He said, it's two inches. That's all. He says, it is an engineering marvel. It's a cyphalacidus plant. I said, you got one on you? <laughs> he did. He said, it's a marvel. He said, it's like a plant with a brain. That's what Satan does to you. And so don't commit. My brother, you got another few minutes? Okay. My brother, when he would go to the jail and teach, 
He would always leave the service quick right after I'd finish and head to the jail, fulfilling a promise and a prophecy my mother made. <laughs> he would go to the jail and teach, and at the end of his teaching, he would play on a, on a CD thing. He would pray, play Gaither old school hymns. And he said, invariably, those men and young men would start crying. No other place would that happen. Why do you think they would start crying? Because that was their last pleasant memory when mama took them to church and they would give anything to get back there in about 24 months. So, let's celebrate communion. Y'all nervous? Good. Father in heaven, we know that a man or a woman who walks out of fellowship with God walks on the edge of an abyss. Samson liked a Philistine woman. He lusted after a Philistine prostitute and he fell in love with a Philistine hitman named Delilah. And his sin ended up grinding, blinding, and binding. And that's what Satan wanted, to mock his gods. And so we pray, Lord, that you might make us men and women of the book to read a chapter of Genesis and a chapter of John and Psalm 1. And then read the next day a chapter of Genesis chapter 2, John 2, Psalm 2. And through these three paths to work their way through the Old, the Middle, and the New Testament. And to do it as a newborn babe longs for milk. Because that is what really makes our church successful in all of our ministries. Our people freely and independently being dependent on God freely and having a relationship with the God of truth in the litmus test of life. Two paths, two trees, two houses, two choices, two lives, and two judgments that are as far apart as the east from the west. So we'll think now upon he that is the wisdom of God that was broken for us, that we could partake of fellowship with God. In Jesus' name, amen.